Design it, craft it, smith it, stitch it, tool it, and pick it. We do it all. This is Bespoke Lahoma. Musical intro by Allie Harder and Pigs Fly Shop out of Oklahoma City. Please, if you're listening and you're an avid listener, take a little bit of time. It takes like 30 seconds. Uh, go to your listening platform that you're listening to this show on and leave us a rate and or review. We would greatly appreciate it. If you enjoy the fact that the podcast is back, the only way that we will ever hope to monetize this this you know shit show that we run here is if we get traction on the platforms and your reviews will help us to do that uh we would sure prefer uh positive reviews i believe negative reviews give us buzz i mean no no news is bad news but uh positive reviews are appreciated and will help us to uh build the algorithms and all that wonderful stuff so um Welcome to this week's episode of Bespoke Oklahoma Broadcasting Live, as always, out of the Traditions Leathercraft Studio, 7500 West Reno, Suite 200. Be sure to check out Casey's Traditions Leathercraft Facebook pages, but also the website, traditionsleathercraft.com. He's always updating new leathers and new deals on the website. Uh, one of my personal favorite deals that Casey has got right now, if you're on the fence about trying out Live Oak, uh, which I know some people are, you know, um, committed to to Herman Oak or some of these others, but the Live Oak that Casey has is really a superior product. If you are not sold, on the website now is a Live Oak sample pack. Um I was going to get that pulled up real quick, uh, but I did not, and I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, there's a Live Oak sample pack on the website, um, $20 for the sample pack. It'll give you uh, pieces of some of the different weights of Live Oak that he carries. If you are sold, love it and would like to purchase Live Oak, uh, the purchase of that sample pack does afford you your $20 back towards your first uh, side of Live Oak. Love that stuff. Love the versatility of it. I have done tote bag bodies out of the three to four ounce. So it's light and supple and soft enough to actually build things like like bags out of. Um, I exclusively use the live oak uh i think i use this six six ish ounces uh for the exteriors of my wallet uh i have not used too many of the heavier weights i, I believe i did build the scabbard out of eight ounce or nine ounce um live oak but it's soft it's beautiful it tools up great uh it dies really well which if you have tried out different vegetable tans. Uh, the fact that it dies up evenly is huge. It's wonderful. So be sure to check out that sample pack. Casey also got in tons of new leather uh, right before closing today. Hang on. <coughs> oh, excuse me. 
the I think Dustin mentioned it last week. He's now carrying an embossed hair on hide, which is new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like an acid wash acid wash embossed. They are pretty funky colors. Um, also just some good traditional floral uh, embossed leathers. He's also going to start carrying uh, on the website uh, blanks for key rings, hat patches, earrings. Uh, so those, I believe, are already up on the website. He will have some of his new leathers up on the website uh, probably tomorrow. He's pretty Johnny on the spot with getting those new leathers on the website. Also on the website is an updated class list for Traditions Leathercraft. Uh, this Saturday will be a basket weave tooling class with Michael Francis. Two-hour class. Uh, good for beginners, but also good for folks who have been tooling for a while. Class fee is $65. All materials will be provided. Uh, you will be basket stamping a Roper wallet exterior. Um, so that class, there's another basic floral carving with Chuck Berry Chuckster uh, next Saturday on September 23rd. And then an airbrush class on the 30th. So you can contact uh, Casey uh, by phone or just call Traditions Leathercraft from the Googles to sign up for those classes. You do have to prepay an RSVP. Um, but I tell you what, those are incredibly beneficial classes. Um, I believe, Dustin, that that is the extent of news that I have for the week. The news I have is how about this weather? <laughs> Rain and 80s, baby. If I hadn't, if I didn't have a custom order to get run through today, I probably would have slept in the hammock today. Just to, as soon as I <laughs> drop the kid off, just go lay in the hammock and call it a day. Um, like my AC unit has barely been working today. Just kept it a nice 68 in here. Perfect. Love it. Now, you guys even got a little bit of rain, didn't you? Uh, yesterday, for a little bit. Yes. Not a whole bunch, but it's... Not to brag, but we got an inch and a half. Nice. nice. Over the course of the day, so it was it was beautiful. And for, you know, everybody that's, you know, down south of us, I'm sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. I, see, it... Uh, I think it was Monday morning. It was supposed to be like 66 degrees outside. And after having so many days of 100 plus, like in my mind, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be nice and chill, a nice chilly 66 degrees. And I got my hoodie ready. I walked outside. And I like, Shit. It's not, <laughs> it's not as cold as <laughs> It's still warm. <laughs> but I mean, still better than 103, you know. But, uh, we'll we'll take what we can get. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started with our guest because I'm pretty excited. So the last few weeks, we have been in other states. We were in, um, I believe, prices in Alabama. We were in Nebraska, Washington. This week, we are back here in Oklahoma, and tonight we have. Casey Cleveland here of Cleveland Knives. How's it going, Casey? Hey, I'm going good. How are y'all? 
Not too bad. So this weekend you have a uh, shop tour going on. Real quick, top of the episode, let's talk about that. Let us know what it's all about. Okay, yeah. So the Oklahoma Knife Group uh, asked me to host a shop tour. Uh, Oklahoma Knife Group's a group of local makers, and they're doing a facelift of the whole uh, organization. And this will be the first shop tour under the new branding. They used to be Knife Group Association, but they rebranded to Oklahoma Knife Group. So we're hosting the first shop tour uh, out of the Gargoyle Garage and Forge here in Hera. That's where I work out of, and that's where a lot of us local makers work out of. Um, so Cleveland Knives will be hosting the tour, and we're going to have a good good showing. There's about 80 confirmed attendants and about 120 on standby that are interested. Uh, it's free to the public. We have um, demos. We're going to be doing a forging demo, a grinding demo, a uh, leather sheath-making demo, uh, some oh tooling uh metal uh chasing stuff like that um engraving uh let's see we're gonna have vendors lots of vendors are gonna be out and local knife makers uh we got jants from down in davis oklahoma gonna come up and sell some knife making supplies we got texas knife steel gonna come up and sell some metal for knife making uh, so we're going to have local vendors, and we're going to have some pretty good-name vendors, big-name vendors out there. It's going to be a good time. Awesome. Yeah, I I thought I saw – I'm looking back over the event because I could have swore that I saw that the, the person doing the uh, the sheath-making demo is uh, Josh Culver. Yes, Josh. Yeah, he's actually been on the show, oh, cool. too. He was one of our uh, very first guests. Uh, if everybody listening, go back to I, don't, I forgot what episode it is, but I think we have it under JC Razors. Pretty cool podcast. Yep, uh, Josh from JC Razors, uh, JC Creation. He's he's a great little great knife maker. Uh, I've known him for a few years now. Um, I met that's how I met Casey. Uh, was from mm-hmm. from JC. Uh, he invited me to come out to Tradition Leather and get some leather from them. JC taught me how to make the one knife sheath I have ever made Yeah. through Facebook messenger. I was like, dude, I got a, I got a knife sheath order. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So he, he taught me. So if he can teach me how to make a knife sheath through Facebook messenger, I'm sure that his demo will be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question, Casey. Okay. And call this just my ignorance. So you said that you, the event is going to be at Gargoyle Garage and Forge. And you said that's where you work out of. Can you explain what that means to me? All right. So uh, I met uh, the owner of the Gargoyle Garage and Forge, Gil Jones. I met him uh, probably about four years ago at an event. And we became good friends. And started a uh, a forge area at his uh, house, at his shop location. We converted his old uh, uh, barn into a forge. So I brought all my oh, equipment cool. in there, and he brought his equipment in there. And then 
local makers from around the area started coming out and hanging out. And we was just uh, just a group of guys making stuff for a while. And then we decided to open it up to the public. And so we invite the public out the second Saturday of every month. You know, there's a small donation fee. And basically you have access to the entire forge for whatever amount of time we're there, four hours, six hours, whatever we, you know, have the forge open for you can come out and hammer with us and uh, experience, you know, the whole thing. You basically grab some tools, grab some steel, get a, get set up on an anvil and go to town. I mean, it's, it's a good fun event. Well, that's awesome. So that gives an opportunity for anybody who might be interested in it to, to get their toes wet without the full exactly. output. Because yep. I imagine it is an expensive venture to begin. Uh, or yeah. it could be. I don't know. My dad has made a forge out of a barrel and an old uh, wheel drum off of an old pickup truck. So I know it can be done inexpensively, but uh, space-wise maybe may not be a factor. Yeah, so you can go fairly cheap. You can do a coal forge with an old brake drum and a blow dryer and just a piece of steel to hammer on. So you can go very crude and very rudimentary. But what we are providing is we got all the equipment, we got the space, we got the facility, we got the people with knowledge. So if you come out knowledge. with absolutely nothing and want to get started, we can get you started on the right track, use our stuff, see what you like. Uh, and then you can be like, okay, I want to keep coming back here or I want to start my own forge at my own house. Okay. Or, or Very hey, cool. I just, I just really wanted cool. to try it out and now I don't want to do it no more. So you save yourself some money. <laughs> you know? It's cool too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is really cool. And how long is this event going on Saturday? So Saturday is going to kick off at 9. We'll probably run till 5. So 9 a.m., 5 p.m., somewhere around there maybe, depending on uh, – you know, the weather, of course, too, being Oklahoma. Oh, uh, yeah. So hopefully we don't get rained out. Yeah, uh, being the week of the State Fair opening, that's usually when we get the most rain yes. of the that's whole year. So. We, were, we were hoping for, you know, because it's been so hot. We're like, well, I hope that week prior we get some rain and cool off. But it's been hot <laughs> for a minute. So how long have you been uh, knife making and how did you get into it? So, okay, so I've been doing it since 2015, and what kicked it off was I got invited to go with a friend to a kind of a, a group meeting as uh, Salt Fork Craftsmen uh, here in Oklahoma. Yes, you know, that's the one I'm familiar with, because yes. they do, like, the Rin Fest, uh -huh. and they're, there's they're a the Scott fair. Fest yep. that they're at. Yeah. So they're traditional, bla uh, traditional blacksmiths, you know, they do ornamental stuff and you know tool stuff did we lose somebody uh casey neither of us can hear you I wonder if he ended up getting a phone call he might, it still says he's connected what <laughs> he got a phone call we were joking with casey before the podcast that uh, if you get a phone call, it just kills Anchor. So we were trying to figure out how to put it in Do Not Disturb. And, and he did. Hey, Casey, if you can hear us, uh, if you end it in the phone call, 
and then just click that link again and it'll bring you right back and it should fix the audio should we need well i guess traditions is kind of the same gargoyle garage and forge type thing for leather craft that yeah uh that that is because i was thinking man we need something like that but traditions kind of already is that <laughs> i mean it is that and see, Melissa, it is that i had no technical difficulties the other day Leave it and to then... a woman to come in and give you <laughs> difficulties, Dustin. You are welcome. I, I think it's because you're out of Tulsa. The hey, towers are you, all messed up and wonky. You can talk shit on me, but you cannot talk shit on Tulsa. Too late. I've, I've actually been really happy to be back in the Tulsa area. I, I wish there was more of a leather community up here. Um, but otherwise, I have no complaints. He may come back. He said he couldn't hear us. Oh, he couldn't hear us either. Well, shoot. We'll see what happens when he comes back. I think he's about to click it. Hang on. We need some elevator music for this part. I know. We, we don't edit, but we could make an exception. So you didn't have to listen to us feel space. Yeah. This hasn't happened in a while, actually. You uh, are we welcome. Sorry about that. I don't know what the deal was. Hey, it happens. It, it does it happen, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my phone timed out. I don't know. Okay, so you left off with, you went to... Uh, I went to a meeting with Salt Fork. Yeah. Okay. So I went to a meeting with Salt Fork. There was a knife maker there. I got interested in the craft, came home, started teaching myself how to make knives. And then I kept going to uh, the meetings with the Salt Fork craftsman guys and learning how to, you know, work steel under the fire and move metal. And it just kept growing from there. So you started with forging knives. And then now you do forging and uh, stock removal and a little bit of everything, it looks like. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I like the forging aspect. I like hammering on steel and moving metal. Um, but at the end of the day, once you get it shaped, you still got to go to the grinder and grind it off and clean it up with that. So uh, you're still grinding still away. And some of my profiles... I just like to repeat them over and over again. So I'll just do stock removal. I'll have a profile template, put it on the metal, cut it out and start grinding. And those are just strictly stock removal. Um, there's no hammering involved, no forging. Uh, but forging has a lot of benefits. You know, you can shape, like if you're doing something special, you can shape it a certain way, you stretch steel, make it longer, all kinds of stuff. Now, do you do custom work? I see you've got a lot of knives for sale on your Facebook, but do you also do custom work? So I did uh, a lot of custom orders pretty much when I first started. <laughs> everything was, hey, can you make this? I'm like, sure, let's go. Hey, can you uh, make that? Yeah, why yeah. not? <laughs> but now I'm to the point where it's like I've got a few models established that I like to sell and replicate. So I make those and basically just have a stock of 
blades readily available. Um, this is not a full-time job. It's just a hobby, right? So a lot of things we do is just a okay. hobby. So um, I have a full-time job. So it got to the point to where it's like, okay, I work all day and then I got to go home and fill orders. And I'm like, I, this is, this is not a job for me. This is fun. So I stopped taking custom orders, uh, for about two years now. I take one or two every now and again, if it's something special that I don't normally do, but for the most part, I just make stuff and just sell it and, uh, take, take a custom order every now and again. Uh, How's y'all's market doing right now? Um, I know it, if you don't want to share, you don't have to, but like with a lot of us leather workers, at least, at least leather workers, uh, people just, it's the buying has been really slow here lately. Is yeah. it the same for you? So I, I can only speak for myself. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I assume other makers may have the same issues in all departments, but with the economy right now and, and the way things are going, it seems like a lot of it has slowed down. I mean, I still sell, uh, but uh, it could just be because I'm really ramping up production that I have more uh, stock than I normally do. Um, because yeah. when I would uh, decide to make one uh, style of knife, I'd make three of them, you know, so I'd have more stock. Um, so mm-hmm. I've, I've ramped up production, so I might still be selling, you know, a lot. It's just not as, you know... Um, not as fast or as, as frequent as it was when I, you know, probably two years ago, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I've noticed a drop in, in sales uh, overall. Um, but I, I do other things now. I teach classes and stuff. So I'm, my focus is split, you know, I'll make some knives and then I'll teach some classes and, and just have fun with it. That's awesome. So what were some of your biggest inspirations when you first got started? Um, As in... uh, Aside from just liking knives. As far as like... So in in the leather community, we have the people we always talk about. Don Gonzalez, Joe Milling. um, You know, are there any knife makers that you kind of modeled their work? Or what was kind of your inspiration? So I try not to replicate anybody's work, but with knife making, it's hard to come up with something new, I guess. But I, I really, I'm, I'm not really like a knife. I was never really a knife enthusiast. I didn't know any big name makers or, or anything like that. Uh, I just used knives a lot and trained with knives and martial arts. And that's kind of my background. Um, okay. So someone could hand me a knife and I didn't know who the maker was or anything about a knife. So I was basically just starting from, oh, this is a fun hobby. Let's get started. Let's learn. Uh, so, yeah, I tried to make the knives how I would like to use them as the aspects of if I was going to use this as a, a knife for skinning game uh, or something like that or processing meat or doing vegetables or if I was going to make this knife for everyday carry, something I would have on me at all times, how would I use it? How would it be? You know, what's the function of it? That was my aspect. A lot of knife makers, they probably get into it because, oh, I like this knife maker. You know, I want to be like that knife maker or I want to be a, a master bladesmith. I don't, that just really doesn't, I don't know, excite me as much as why I do things. Just like knives. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I like knives and I like uh, using knives. For sure. So I got, I got a quick question that for whenever 
Josh listens to this episode, it's going to make him chuckle. So when we had him on, I had known him for a little while before having him on. So, you know, I uh, knew how many knives he carried on a daily basis. And (laughs) during that podcast, I asked him at that moment how many knives that he had on him. And I think he pulled out six. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, you're running to the store and you're going to be gone (laughs) half the day. How many knives do you usually have on you at one time? Uh, at least two, and I okay. usually carry uh, sidearms, so I usually have at least two on me, sometimes three, and that's if I've got, you know, what kind of configuration I got, if I got a pocket knife or a belt knife on me, mm. um, but yeah, I usually have at least two, sometimes three, and I carry my sidearm, and that's if I'm just going to run to the grocery store or go get gas or just go out on the town. Yeah, I think he had five or six on him plus a sidearm, I think. I don't remember if he had that that day or not. Yeah. But, uh, uh, okay, so you started, you said, in 2015? Yes. How long were you doing it before you got onto Forge and Fire? So I started in 2015, and then I started applying for Forge and Fire around 2017, Mm. And which I really, I mean, I was, I could have went on, but I really wasn't ready, ready. I guess I didn't have enough uh, social media for them to see what all I was capable of. But in 2018, I saw that they had a spinoff show called Knife or Death, and I applied for that. And I got on there and had to make a knife for that episode to ship to them. Now, I didn't have to make one for the episode. They asked me if I could, and I said, yeah. So I made a knife. Uh, and it was a cutting competition. So I did that episode, went through it, made it through the competition. I just wasn't, uh, I guess, fast enough to progress to the next level. Mm-hmm. After 2018, Knife or Death aired. I reapplied for Forge and Fire, got in contact with them. They said they wanted to have me on the show. So 2019, I went on the show and competed. That is awesome. What was it like being there and being on the show and competing uh fun i had a good time so i i don't like to stress about nothing Mm. um so i went in with the attitude of hey have a good time whatever happens happens just be just have fun doing it you know i kept Mm. telling myself hey you're here to win but i had to tell myself that just so i would stay focused on the goal on the mission right And, and hey you're here to win but have fun doing so because uh, it can be stressful, especially if you've never been around cameras before, which I had been on a couple of things prior. So I'd been around cameras and the whole uh, rigmarole back and forth and, hey, hurt, go do this and that. So that didn't bother me. It was just mm. I treated it like I was at a friend's shop using their tools and I'm just there to make a knife and have fun. How, how long did the filming take for your episode? Uh, I think we were there two days. Uh, so we did first first day, we did this uh, forging, and then they come back and they have us do the handles and stuff. So I Now, think is that a there. pretty quick turnaround as far as a knife goes? Yeah, two days. I mean, we when I do the cl- when I teach classes, it takes two days. You know, I'll I'll have them forge and grind and heat treat the first day, which is what we did, and then handles the second day. And the reason being is because we temper the knife. As part of the heat treat, we harden it and then we temper it back. 
and that could take you know four hours depending on steel depending on the heats and stuff so um they so won't you've got do some lay time anyway huh so you've got some lay time anyway yes yeah so uh, on average two days is probably as fast as i would take to make a knife but since i make multiple knives uh I do them in batches. So I'll do three or four knives at once and it'll take me maybe four days to kind of finish that batch. Now I haven't seen your episode yet. Mm -hmm. Um, What did they use for your, uh, the stress test on your knife? So for the first blade challenge, they had us chopping some antler. um, And I think that's as far as we got because uh, one of the knives broke, so I think they just Catastrophic had a failure. Yeah, I think they just had to chop the antler. Yeah, I don't think we got through a lot of the tests on the first episode. I think it was just chopping antler, and they broke. And then on the second one, they did the ballistics dummy, and then they chopped some terracotta pots with our swords. So did that the I forgot what season me and my wife watched. It's been over a year or so, but. One of my favorite parts is the one guy that is always like, it will kill. Yeah, Doug. Yeah, that's my favorite person. And we still to this day, like we'll be chopping potatoes or whatever. (laughs) And my wife will look over and go, it will kill. (laughs) It will kill. Now, Casey, had you made a sword prior to going on the show? Yeah, so I forged a couple of uh, swords, uh, but I hadn't finished them. And so I had some that I had in works, but never finished. So that was my first forged sword, complete, finished all the way. And in my head, it was just a knife, just bigger, basically. More stuff, bigger bigger knife. But um, yeah, and they have us fill out questionnaires, like kind of, gauge where we are like have you worked a cold force before have you done this before have you made an accident so they have you questionnaire fill all this stuff out and then they'll put you i guess in a bracket against other people that have the same kind of uh background oh well that's good to know that's nice now is that the same sword that uh is in the pictures that you sent me no, so that's what I sent you in the picture is the one I just finished. That'd be oh, okay. So uh, on the on the episode, uh, I had to forge a Jian sword or Jean or however that's pronounced. It's a Chinese sword. And during the episode, they didn't show it, but I actually made two swords. Um, <coughs> while one was heating up, I was forging on the other. So I was I was nonstop. I made two swords, <laughs> one out of Damascus, one out of mono steel. And then my thinking was, if it's in the fire, I can't. I'm just going to stand here, twiddle my thumbs. I'm going to be working. So, I was basically building two swords at once. Um, and in case one broke, I had another one already started. Because you know how it is on the show. If something breaks, they got to start over. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to start over. From and the- it's a mad dash. And it's a mad dash. So I was like, well, if one's in the fire heating up, I can't do nothing but wait. So I'll hammer on another one and just kind of alternate. So I had basically forged out two swords. And then finished one off for the for the uh, episode to be tested. Do you get to keep any of the stuff from the episode? I did not. No, uh, the winner. I didn't, you know, I didn't think they let you keep anything. They, they keep your first competition round knife and then your sword or whatever you have to make for the second round. If you win, if you get second place, 
you get to keep your second round weapon, whether it be an axe or a knife or sword or whatever they have you make. Uh, so my competitor, uh, since he got second place, he got to keep his sword. Um, well, okay. What do they do with all the ones that they keep? So if you notice all the decorations in the background or weapons, those are competitive mm-hmm. weapons. Oh. All the knives that people made on the sword or the show, all the swords and axes and stuff that they made on the show, uh, the winner's weapons go on the wall. So that's what they've hung up all over the uh, the show. Oh, okay. Yep. Free decorations. Yep. Well, and it looks cool. You know, it's like the ultimate, yeah. uh, you know, battle cave. Yeah. <laughs> That is awesome. And I don't know if we mentioned you went on to win that episode. Yes. You were so, the winner. Yeah. On Fortune Fire, I was the winner. Yeah. What was that? How did it feel when they were like, you are the champion? So if you've seen the episode, you know, um, the my competitor, Vince, he his sword pommel broke. And mine had not broke. So I knew that I was going to win. <laughs> and um, English is hard. Uh, so I knew that I was going to win because of that fact right there. But it was a bittersweet win for me because he made such an amazing weapon. And I would like for it to have gone down to, like, deliberation. Like, they went and picked our weapons apart. But his had a minor mm-hmm. failure and the pommel came off. So I defaulted into a win, which, you know, is how the cookie crumbles, obviously. So, but for me, it was kind of like, well, shit, that sucks for him, man. Like, I had all these emotions running through me, like, damn, yeah, I won, but God, that sucks for him, right? That, 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 that right. happened, but hey, that's, I mean, it's part of it. And I felt bad, but I felt, you know, kind of like, cool, I won. So I'm just weird with emotions. Like, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, uh, cool. You know, that's really it. It wasn't like, you know, it's like, I don't know, I wasn't, I guess, excited as a lot of people get. Well, it's always more fun if you win, you know, a, a battle to the bitter end. You know, right, it's right, always right. A, a more satisfying victory. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I just uh, had fun doing it. And that's really what I was there for. And then and, and, uh, whenever I, whenever I won, I was just like, I guess that's it. We're done. We can't, you know, no more filming. <laughs> the game's over. <laughs> <laughs> now where do they where do they film Forge and Fire? Uh shoot, uh where were we at? You got me question that. I have to look it up. Connecticut. I can't Connecticut. Remember. Maybe I'm okay. probably wrong. <laughs> it looks from your Facebook page like you've done quite a bit of traveling. I saw Poland. I'm Polish, so of course I remember that you were in Poland, but uh looks like you've gotten to do quite a bit of traveling and and uh, making knives a focal focal aspect of that too. What's that? I'm sorry. Uh, traveling and making knives for what? I said it looks like you've been able to travel and make knives uh, a focal aspect, even in your travels. Yeah. Um, so I, I do. The only traveling for me I've done for knives is I went to Atlanta. And I went to uh, Atlanta Blade Show and got to, you know, experience that. I didn't have a table or anything, but I went there and uh, kind of helped out the Broadbeck guys. In Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. They have the uh, 
uh, Blade Show, uh, Atlanta Blade Show, which is the biggest Blade Show in the States. Um, so that was pretty cool getting to go there. Um, as far as traveling uh, with knives or traveling, I'm sorry, maybe I didn't understand the question you were asking. No, I just saw that you had posted on your Cleveland Knights Facebook page that you had done some traveling in Poland, um, and I think in Iceland, okay. maybe if I'm so, not wrong. Yeah, that was because I'm in the uh, Air Force Reserves. Okay. And that, they sent me there to do some stuff. And Hence while I was the love there, for weaponry. While I was there, I had, I had some Cleveland knives with me. And I figured it would be a great photo op to take some pictures in Iceland and Poland with some of my weapons. Perfect. Heck yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, saw, I saw one, my favorite one. I think I saw you were in front of a, like a waterfall with a hatchet. Oh, yeah. That, just that was get a whole lot cooler than that. <laughs> yeah, that was, in, uh, that was in Iceland. That sounds like a perfect place for some real nice pictures and pictures that are good enough to confuse a podcast co-host uh, oh yeah, that was, <laughs> it, was <good>. yeah. <laughs> it was a good time um also i brought it up to melissa before uh, we started and before you jumped on that uh our guest that i had on the other day he said that how he got into leather work is because he had he got a damascus hatchet uh-huh. and I'd never, never seen one. I've never seen a Damascus hatchet, which I was like, in my head, I was like, that seems pretty cool. I, I didn't look it up or anything. And then one of the pictures that you send me is, I guess it would, would it technically be a tomahawk or would you call it a hatchet? Yeah, a tomahawk. Yep. Okay. You, you actually send me a Damascus tomahawk yep. and I just thought that was really cool and it looks awesome. Yeah, that was that's the personal one that I kept. Uh, for me, that's the one that you see in the pictures in Iceland and stuff like that that I uh, I keep kept for myself. But I've sold others like that. And I, just for everybody listening, I'll make sure to post these pictures so you can see them. So you can see the Iceland pictures that confused Melissa and the tomahawk and <laughs> all your other awesome stuff. By the way, Dustin, I really like that you shared. I noticed you did it with um, uh, Alice from Nebraska, that you shared some pictures uh, on the Bespoke Oklahoma page. Kudos to you um, for making it look like we have it together. That was I've awesome. I've been doing it with every person. That was good. It was good. I like it. It's good. It's good stuff. Okay, okay uh, back to Casey. <clears throat> back to Casey. So, Casey, I have another question. Uh, what is the, it looks like an anchor necklace that you wear that it seems like you forged. Oh, is it an anchor? It's a, it's a, it's a Mjolnir from the Norse it's, mythology. Uh, Thor wields the Mjolnir. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's what that I, is on my neck. And I made that out of a piece of Damascus that I had forged, uh, for making a knife. I had a, a extra piece left over. Um, so those, what the silver linings are in there are nickel from the Damascus, uh, remnants. That's a sweet look. It looks kind of, it reminds me of like veining, which I guess that's technically what Damascus is, yeah. but I haven't seen one with that wide 
of veining. I hate it when we talk to people who I don't, I love it. I love talking to people and learning, but like when I don't know your lingo, is it, what is it called? Is the, the Damascus, is it veining? Is it ribbing? How do you refer to so that? So with Damascus, it's layered, it's pattern layered, pattern welded steel, basically. So it's, it's layered. So they would be the layers. Layers then. of different steels. So if you would do, uh, just vision like a ruler or a bar steel, whatever, and you cut it up into six inch or whatever lengths, and you have two different types of steel. So you have a, a nickel, right. a high nickel content, and you have a carbon content steel. So you would do a layer of carbon, a layer of nickel, layer of carbon, layer of nickel, and you'd stack it up like a sandwich and squish it together. So you get it really hot and forge weld it together and it squishes everything. Everything basically becomes one uh, piece of steel with, uh, with forge welding. Uh, now, once it's one piece of steel, you can shape it however, twist it, cut it, whatever, and put um, different cuts, do different types of Damascus. I like to do twist Damascus. It's fairly easy for me. But once you've got it welded together and twisted and shaped wherever you want, it looks like one shiny bar of steel, right? You grind it down, it's just one shiny bar of steel. You can't see nothing. But when you put it in acid, you got to harden it and then put it in acid. Whenever you put it what in What kind acid, of acid? Uh, I use uh, ferric chloride. But okay. There's all kind of different recipes. You can use ferric chloride. You can use muratic. You can, you can cut ferric chloride with the distilled vinegar, distilled water, just different variations of recipes. But the acid basically eats away the carbon steel. It, it causes micro pitting in the carbon steel and it doesn't affect the nickel steel. So what happens is your carbon steel gets eaten away and your nickel steel stays uh, exposed and uh, more pronounced, I guess you would say. Okay. So when you buff it out, uh, your carbon gets pitted. You can darken that up with coffee and your nickel stays shiny. That's how you get your contrast. Did you just say you can darken it up with coffee? Yeah. Giving away some trade like coffee. Giving away some trade secrets Coffee, here. coffee. Yeah. Well, that's a fun one. I that's, dude. For full full transparency here, I think I have seen every episode of Forged in Fire, and I did not. I've never seen or heard of of coffee. That's very cool. So that's uh, what a lot of smiths, uh, blade smiths, are starting to do. After they get done etching, they'll clean it up, and the etching will create the pitting, and it causes the steel to darken, obviously. But if you take coffee, and it has to be specific, it has to be the instant coffee, um, make a really thick uh, mixture, then put your uh, Damascus in there, and the tannins, I guess, or whatever, the acids, acidity and the coffee yeah. bonds to the steel and creates a dark, dark, dark uh, <laughs> texture. So that's how you can get a really dark contrast very that's, cool that's fairly new to me i don't know how long that's been around but it seems to be fairly new in the knife world is used the coffee within the past five years i guess people started doing that for really dark coffee uh, uh contrast um, i don't know if it's been done prior to that but it seems to be fairly new in the knife making world does it seem to does the color seem to last with that treatment Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got the oh. stuff that's, uh, if you, you know, clean your blades, oil them, or keep them dry in a dry space, they seem to work real well. Now, if I was to take it and rub some rocks on or stuff, it probably would 
take some of the black off, obviously, but just get yeah. it used. It, it seems to last fairly well. Sweet. Well, thank you for that insider secret. That's a cool one. Yeah. So, Dustin, I'm going to keep rolling because I have so missed doing Bespoke Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you had mentioned that um, JC was going to do the sheaf, ma- sheaf, oh my God, sheaths making class. Uh, wow. Uh, do, you, do you make your own sheaths for your knives? And if so, how did you learn how to do it? Um, so my introductory to leather started back in 2010. Uh, oh, wow. Started, even before the knife making. Right. So I started carrying uh, a sidearm back in 2010, and I wanted a holster for it. So I went out and bought the most expensive holster on the market, and I did not care for it. So I looked into making my own out of leather, and that's how I got introduced into leather making. Uh, working leather was gun holsters. And uh, I've got another Facebook page that I really don't even manage anymore uh, called Casey's Custom Carriers. And that's where I did all my gun holsters and stuff, which I pretty much stopped doing that because of the le- uh, knife and everything. But I made a lot of gun holsters back in the day. Um, all, most of them were hand-stitched. Probably my first 50 or so were hand-stitched. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a Cobra Class 4 leather stitcher. And that just elevated my production like crazy. But I, that, that's where I got introduced to the tooling and then doing like inlays with uh, Stingray and snakeskins and all that stuff. I saw some of your Stingray inlays. Stingray is kind of a, a different one to work with. Oh, uh, yeah. Stingray will uh, dull your needles. That's a nice eye. way of saying that it's a pain in the ass. Yes. <laughs> that stuff is water resistant. It is fireproof. I've tried burning it. It doesn't want to burn. Uh, it's pretty tough stuff. <laughs> and it's beautiful, but it, man, is it tough to work with. Yes. So, you, it was a pretty easy transition with the knife sheaths, then I assume you've still got the the class four for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I use that for all my uh, sheaths and stuff. It'll blow through three quarter inch of leather like you wouldn't believe. Uh, yes, definitely. When I got <laughs> that, it had uh, probably five pieces of eight or ten ounce stacked together and a figure eight sewn into it just prove that uh-huh. that's what it's capable of and i looked at that and i was like well you know if my hand gets under that needle it's not gonna oh i'm needle. in trouble <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the closest i think i have ever come to hitting somebody else's child yeah i i had nieces and nephews over at the house and i was sewing and i explicitly told all of them do not touch the sewing machine this is not a sewing machine this is an industrial yes mighty machine don't mess with it and i was sewing and you know when you get you're like you're fixing to go around a curve or something so you get like really close to the needle because you're making fine adjustments one of the kids comes up and fakes like he's gonna smash down on the pedal and my life flashed before my eyes oh my gosh i'm like i don't know if y'all heard me or not but i will reiterate (laughs) i don't care to lose a finger today (laughs) Yeah, what kind of sewing machine are you using? 
I have a class three. Class three. Okay. So the difference between the class three and class four is the throat size, right? It's just a smaller throat. Yeah, I think it's just the bar length. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hey, does it have yep. So same basic. Does it what? Does it have the servo motor where you can dial it down and speed it up and all that stuff? Yeah. And okay. I, I intermittently use it. I do a, a fair bit of lighter stuff. So I have another sewing machine that I use. So, and especially at the time I wasn't that good on it. So I was like moving real slow and I was real intense and was still not super confident. I wasn't going to lose a finger just from my own incompetence. Right. So I didn't, I didn't need help at the time. <laughs> so I'm going to stop you right there, Melissa. I was oh, no. sewing some straps for quivers the other day. Uh-huh. And it on flashed the in my mind. Yeah, I'm a cover 26. And I remember back in the day, there was like several movies of people sewing their finger. And they're going, ow, oh, you know, they make a big deal of it, of it. Like, I don't know if it was back then, put the fear in me now. But like, <laughs> I don't under, like, I know it's possible. Anything's possible. But like, I haven't, I don't know if it's my sewing machine, but I haven't figured out how somebody could sew their finger. I see. No, and I, I see what you're saying, but I do just because I have a tendency to get a little too intense on like what it is that I'm sewing. And maybe so. So especially on some of the purses that I make, I have like a bunch of layers that are kind of sketchily put together and I'm going around a curve and I really yes. want to make sure that everything stays in line. And so there have been a couple of times that I have been holding like leather together and I have been so focused on like where my next stitch is going that uh -huh. I don't realize how close my hand is to the needle. And yeah. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't broke skin but I have gotten, you know, a few stitches away from a finger. And the thing is, is if y'all aren't familiar with the, the class threes and class fours, and I'm sure even the class 26, this thing would straight up go through the bone in your finger, straight through the middle of your bone, like it wasn't even there. I guarantee it. Like, they have demos of some of these machines sewing through, like, nickels. Right. Like a nickel coin. And I, I mean, they are crazy. Uh, holding leather together and getting up close like if i have a i have the uh the foot of the bottom piece on there for like they call it for holster making but it's like an elevated bottom piece um i don't know how to explain it uh but having to hold that leather close and straight up and down so it doesn't turn sideways when the needle's going through it and they're using the hand wheel to manually crank it down i've poked my finger before but have you backed out? Yeah, and I actually poked my finger with one of those uh, Chinese uh, hand wheel ones just the other day. The showing cobbler. Another, yeah, showing another guy how to how to you know, work it, and it was a small needle, and it just broke skin. But I'm like, if I was to have pressed down on the pedal, I would have I would have stitched a thread right through that finger, for mm -hmm. sure. Because it it is well, and that's all there. That's part of my problem too is, and this is why I don't drive a stick shift, is sometimes my brain just glitches and I will press. Yeah. No, honestly, this is how I wrecked my motorcycle the first time was I confused the handbrake and the clutch. And I've done that on the sewing machine too, where there's just like a brain glitch and I confuse the lifter pedal and the power pedal. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've kind of come close. 
You know, I'm not going to make a blonde joke here, but there have been a couple of times that I have almost hurt myself. Well, with knife so. making, it, it's part of the territory. You either get cut or burned on a on a burn <laughs> daily yes on daily basis uh weekly depending on how much like you do. oh shit i forgot that was gonna be hot <laughs> yeah so one one further question i have one more question that i really want to ask because you've got some really cool um okay i'm two kids deep now so my brain is trash so forgive me um i know the word but i'm not gonna be able to come up with it what your handles are made out of. Um, okay, so uh, the, the handle scales for knives, they can be... Scales! Yep. So That's they, the word I was looking for. They're, they can be wood. They can be a composite. Um, I just try to source from local makers because there's that's a craft as well as making handle materials because you got to take the wood, dry the wood, uh, uh, what is it, stabilize the wood. Um, so there's a lot of work involved in that if you're using uh, woods and stuff. But um, I get those from local makers that, that work on that. But we call them handle scales, knife scales, and they could be made out of just about anything. I've used bone, all kinds of stuff, antler. What are most of your scales? Yet. Oh, the mammoth teeth. Mammoth. I do have some mammoth tooth. Uh, I haven't messed with it yet because it's hard to cut, hard to drill. Um and it's very expensive and it's brittle. So I haven't, I've got some, they're about $120 a piece and I, I haven't messed with them yet just because I want to maybe get some better equipment and put them on something really nice. But yeah, you can, you so, can make handle materials just about anything really. So most of your, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. So most of your scales then come from local makers. Local makers or uh, a supply company like uh, Jantz, which is in Davis. Um, most of it trying to get from local makers because there's more of an artistic uh, involvement in it. Uh, whenever they're do, whenever they're doing what they do, I guess. Absolutely. If there were a, a resource for locally sourced like hardware for my leather goods, I think that would be super cool. Mm -hmm. But hardware is kind of just one of those things you have to get from a manufacturer. Yeah, and, I it, can and tell. it could be anywhere from one manufacturer to the next. Yeah. Yep. Well, very cool. Yeah, like I said, I, I just really like some of your scales. There's some, and I don't know what they would be. I guess that's my question, that are like yellow, black. They look like layered. Is it yes. a micarta, yellow, black, yellow, black? Yeah, so there's a layered uh, G10 micarta. Um, so it is, like you said, layered. And that's how you would do Damascus's in layers. But uh, as you grind away, it kind of grinds away one layer into the next and kind of blends it. Um, so that's how you get that look. And those are what I use for like classes and stuff a lot because it comes already flat. It's easy to cut and install and it's easy to work. So, and it's tough. That's the biggest thing. If you're using like a wood or something like that, you're drilling through it or you could crack it. You know, it's really, things could go wrong. So we not something you want to deal with if you're yeah, teaching a class. If you're teaching a class, you want to make it as easy as possible for them and, less room for error so definitely definitely very cool so it sounds like you really have a passion for teaching uh yeah i've, I've taught a lot of stuff to a lot of people 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that just kind of comes with, I guess that's what I like to do. I'll learn something and get real good at it. And then I'll try to share that knowledge. Sweet. Well, Dustin, I, I, I have asked all of my big questions anyway. <laughs> well, the, the one big question I was going to ask, you kind of, you already covered it with uh, Damascus because I, I remember Josh telling me how, but I, I don't know if we covered it on the last podcast, but I was going to have you kind of go through sort of the process of how Damascus, go, Damascus goes, but you already covered it. So I had a fun time. Heck yeah. Where, where can uh, people find you? So you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook, all under Cleveland Knives. Um, I will be having a, a website up eventually. I've got it parked right now. It's just got to get some work done to it before I publish it. And that'll be clevelandknives.com. Um, hopefully I'll have that up soon. Um, and uh, uh, with that sword build I did, I'll be doing a video and that'll hopefully be my first YouTube video. And hopefully Oh, I'll... nice. That's a an endeavor in itself. Yeah. I don't think the general public realizes what goes into putting a decent video on YouTube. Yeah. So I might, I might do the YouTube video. Uh, I don't know if I have the time for that because of all the editing and the pre, you know, I, I record pretty much most of the stuff I do already. So it's just, that's the easy there. part though. Yeah. It's getting in there and editing it and then making it look good and, and, and doing all that stuff afterwards. That takes the time. And some people really have a skill for that. And some, you know, got to keep them engaged too. Yeah. Well, Casey, thank you so much for talking with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me on. And before you go real quick. So during every podcast, I do a bad dad joke somewhere in the episode. (laughs) And now is the time for the bad dad joke. Well, that's good. Before we get out of here and say goodbye. Okay. So, if lightning hits an orchestra, who's most likely to get hit? If lightning hits an orchestra? Yeah. Who's who's most likely to get hit? I don't know. Who? The conductor. Oh, good one. Oh, (laughs) that was a a decent one, Dustin. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Casey, thank you so much for... uh, coming on with us tonight it was awesome um i'm gonna try to make it saturday but i've got somebody coming to completely replace uh the electrical panel in the house because it's like ooh, 50 years old yeah definitely get that updated yeah so yeah thank you so much and thank you all for joining us join us again next week for more bespoke oklahoma bye bye talk to you later bye I said it once, say it again How many times I've told ya I know this stuff because I'm from the great state of Oklahoma